Welcome to episode three of That One Record. I'm your host, Kyle Crichet, and today we sit down with Chris Cresswell of the Flatliners to discuss 2010's Cavalcade. When I was in the ninth grade, a friend a little older than me gave me a Flatliner CD. He gave me Destroy to Create after seeing them the weekend before. Uh, it immediately connected, and I was seeing the Flatliners play basically all over southern Ontario, where, where I grew up and where, where these guys are from. Every couple weeks, they were a huge inspiration for me getting into music, seeing kids, you know, only a couple years older than myself out there playing these shows people coming out to see them they're 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 outside of their town they signed a fat records like all this stuff was was blowing my mind as i was a teen coming up and then i thankfully got to know the guys pretty well over the years playing shows with them opening for them on tours and i cannot stress this enough this is four of the nicest coolest people that I've ever met who've done so much for me personally and I know a ton of people around Southern Ontario's punk hardcore music scene would say the same. When this record, Cavalcade, came out in 2010, I really got to see up close uh, the fruits of this band's labor. We're talking about a band who came up at a time when you were doing three-month tours, you know, when you barely even had cell phones. They were all over the U.S., which for a lot of popular Canadian bands, it's so difficult to break into the United States. We have bands that play arenas here that can barely draw a few hundred kids just a couple hours over the border, let alone in you know, flyover state. But the flats just never stopped, and it seemed that with this record, they took that big step to where it was at the point where, man, this is going to become a career this is going to be a job for these guys and it was amazing to see and i can't think of anyone more deserving but there was a lot of trials and tribulations with this record as we talk in the in the podcast you know they thought they had a finished product well before what eventually ended up being cavalcade came out they had some interventions some people from the label talked to them about it really went back to the drawing board, reworked a few things, and really made an even better record. Just a quick note here. This was recorded in the very, very early spring of 2020. I'm thinking we probably recorded this in late March of 2020. Obviously, no one really knew what the coronavirus was at the time. As you can probably laugh at now in our conversation, us projecting stuff like summer of 2020, he should be back in Europe doing these 10th anniversary cavalcade shows they had booked. L- truly laughable stuff. But like I said, just a quick note. Nobody obviously had any clue what was really happening at the time. Uh, so it, it's worth a good chuckle. I left a lot of it in. But without further delay, here's my conversation with Chris Cresswell on the making of the Flatliners 2010 release, Cavalcade. So I, I'm just looking here, make make sure I have these dates right. Destroy to Create in 2005. Great Two, o- yeah, 2000, uh, well, 2000, shit, 2004 and then 2005. And then, okay. Because uh, the, self, the self-release version, the first version, came out the fall of October 2004. Okay, and this Stomp. explains why I was getting two dates in my research. Yeah, right? the, okay. the, the beginning of the band's history and, and discography is a little, it's a little touch and go. But we self-released it 
October 2004, and then Stomp licensed it from us and like put it in stores okay, okay. in the summer of 2005. When yeah. people bought CDs. Yeah, I remember that? I don't know why do people even make them anymore. And then, so then two years later, Great Awake 2007. Yeah. And then Cavalcade 2010. Yeah. And then you space, I guess it's pretty much been a two or three year cycle 2013, Dead Language, and then Inviting Light 2017. Right? 2017. Yeah, we kind of cheated a little bit in the meantime, and we put a B sides compilation out. Oh, okay. 15. Yeah. Um, called Division of Spoils. And the only reason I say that we may have cheated a little bit is because I think there's a lot of people out there that believe it's actually a studio record, which is very flattering. Yeah, yeah. What? Um, <laughs> Were those always rising, those I don't demos? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it was all just like the B-sides from um, The Great Awake, Cavalcade, and Dead oh, Language. Okay, so songs that you just And a couple use. like, yeah, and just because we always ended up with so many extra songs. Uh, and then um, also we we had put, it, it's kind of basically like a compilation of like all the seven inches we put out because it was also the cover songs we did. Like we put a, a couple splits out with with bands over the years that we'd cover stuff and Okay, okay. Shit like that. So it was um oh what's the what's the um what's your rule on, on cursing on your show? Oh just go for it. For the punks? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> so so <laughs> excellent. So speaking of the punks, they were the ones buying all these seven inches. Yeah, yeah. Um we, we basically had put I wanna say ninety percent of these, you know, B sides out already on seven inches, but to some folks who weren't following that closely maybe and weren't right, like collecting right. these seven inches as we put them out. D- Division of Spoils kind of caught them all by surprise. So it, uh, I feel like there's a there's a there's a big enough number of people out there that think that's an actual studio record, and I'm here to tell them that it is. It is <laughs> a so, studio record. So you're going into Cavalcade then. You're. It came out April. It's almost. Oh man, it'll be ten years in just over two weeks. Any day now. Yeah. April thirteenth, two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So right. when did you start recording it with Steve? Okay, so we started recording Cavalcade in, uh, I want to say, about a year before. Okay, okay. If, well, if, 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 if we're talking maybe recording the summer. album or, or, or the demos. Album. When did demos, you actually start okay, getting yeah, into the, it? The album would have been, uh, no, I'm sorry, the album would have been early summer 2000. Okay. Nine, and then so you've already done right? your demo work because I was gonna ask like you're fresh off Great Awake. That's the first one on Fat, right? That's the first one that we put out on Fat. So yeah. how do you juggle this? I guess it's two years after it's come out, but I imagine that touring cycle was pretty hectic. Yeah, that was the real. That was the very beginning of us really touring seriously when we put the Great Awake out. Like we yeah. had toured before that. Yep, yeah. But it was pretty, you know, it was it was kind of few and far between. We were pretty active like luckily living in southern Ontario, we were able to like stay pretty active just around here. Oh yeah. But really the great away came out and then we started going everywhere else. So were you doing did you do this session in just lockdown one go or were you doing this between tours? We I guess when we finally got to the album recording after like demoing and and this and that uh yeah, we did like a month. Yeah, I think we did a month of recording, but there's more to the story because we basically, th- this record 
started by no way of our own virtue. Uh, <laughs> okay. a, 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 a kind of, a kind of, um, I don't know, not, not a plan, but like a kind of uh, process that we'd go back to um, on our own volition for the, every record to follow. And that means that we thought we finished the record in that first month long go. So early, I want to say early summer of 2009. And then uh, we ended up going back to the studio and recording more songs. <laughs> okay, okay. And now were these, were you redoing anything or you just had more songs and you guys were going to throw them into this batch and pick from the best? It became, you mean like to go back into the studio? Yeah, like did you did you do some recording and think, hey, maybe we didn't nail this song when you had to kind of redo a couple tracks or was this all brand new stuff when you kind of came back and did these additional songs? It was a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, we It wasn't any of us that thought maybe we didn't nail it the first time. <laughs> okay, this is what I was going to ask because you've, you've yeah. worked with Ryzen for... A long, long time. I think he's does most he, of our records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, was he the who? Now that Fats in the picture, who was all on board yeah. in terms of listening to this and and seeing what you had together and maybe sending you back to the studio? Okay, so at this point, we had been we'd worked with Fat on on one record already, and our relationship with the label came to be a thing through our friend Melanie K. Actually, through our friend Katie Clark, who used to run Underground Operations. Oh yeah, yeah. she had introduced. Yeah, she was a, she's a like a good old friend of ours, and uh, um, she introduced. I think everyone except me was at a, a Lagwagon Lawrence Arms Wilhelm Scream show. I had to work because um, I'm a nerd, but uh, <laughs> I just was super serious about money, you know. <laughs> but uh, but. Uh, Everyone was at the show, and Katie introduced them, to, the guys, to Melanie Kay. And she was, at that point, like, Fat Records Canada. And her assistant at the time, Rob Thornton, who has since gone on to, he books bands, and he's still moving and shaking and doing his thing. Uh, shout out, Rob Thornton. He, he was Melanie's assistant, so when the band name reached her ears, it, it sounded familiar, because I guess Rob had been talking about us and stuff, which was great. So... That's kind of how we got involved with Fat, and then Melanie wanted to hear demos. This is now back to the Great Awake, just briefly. And then we basically sent her demos. She liked them enough to send them to Fat Mike, and then at that point, Fat Mike got in touch with us, and we kind of, the rest of our um, working relationship with Fat, as far as the, the creative side of things, was strictly with Fat Mike, which as a for a 19-year-old kid <laughs> yeah. from the suburbs of Toronto <laughs> is fucking insane. five or six when this was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. This is late 2006. Yeah, so it's fucking insane. So now you fast forward a few years and we're working on our our third record, but our second record for Fat. And uh, and and Mike uh, and I have a conversation, you know, a few weeks after he's had the the record, quote unquote, as we you know thought it was finished. And I just don't think he was in love with it, um, which you know was definitely. A bummer at first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you feel like you've just let down, like, you know, one of your, when, one of your like musical heroes growing up gives you a really big chance at 19, and then a few years later you you feel like you're kind of blowing it. it it's not easy <laughs> to take that news. But to his credit, and mind you, it took us a little while to see it this way, he was not wrong, you know. Um, without him, so not to jump too far ahead, but without him 
and I having that, you know, for me, well, probably for both of us, that awkward conversation, um, you know, we we would never have had Count Your Bruises on that record. Oh, damn. We would have never had, I want to get this right, I want to say we would have never had Liver Alone on that record. Um, I know I'm forgetting a couple of the other ones that came later, but these were ideas, that I think, like every band, like, you know, like the there's always these ideas that show up right at the end and you're like, ah, well, we're too far into this record. We already have 15 songs or whatever. So, so one of whatever. the singles and basically the B side of the album would be a lot different if you had just went through with what yeah. you had. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of bands out there that have just, you know, either, I mean, to be honest with you, like this is, there's like th- this whole cavalcade thing and like one like an issue about one particular song on the follow-up record to Cavalcade were the only times in the 10 years, I mean, we still work with Fat, so 10 plus years of working with Fat on stuff that they've ever been like, that anyone at the label has been like, we should talk about this. Otherwise, it's, you you know, you have full creative control. And, and, and to be honest, the way that the conversation with Mike and I ended that, that, that initial time was that he was like, I'll put it out if you want to put it out. I'm just saying like, there's no rush. It wasn't like a thing where he was, being like this record sucks i hate it what have i done signing your band i i should i i should make that clear he was very supportive of the situation i think he understood that him being who he is and us being who we are in, at that point and still are to this day i think he he knew that it would carry some some weight that that statement would come with some gravity and that i think he was weary of hurting our feelings a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was young. Like, we were all young and we were all bummed. But, you know, again, it took a little time to figure out that, he, that he's probably not wrong. He's done this before. He knows what he's doing. And to his credit, man, the record turned out way better with his involvement. So from there, this was, I think, like a week or two before we had, like, some crazy, like, fucking 10-week tour coming up. And on that tour, we were going to be in San Francisco. So I was like, okay. I think I'll have to talk to the guys about all this, obviously. But yeah, I guess you know I'll I'll we'll talk to you soon and we'll figure out a plan. But just so you know, like we're about to go on this fucking huge long tour, so we can't do anything about it now. And he's like, well, that's kind of what I mean. Like, there's no rush, so take your time. And then you know we made plans for him to come out to our show in in the Bay Area, and then we talked about it more that night. And that was the night that he told us he wanted to come to Toronto to work on the record with us. So, oh, so he was in studio. We went to our jam space. Okay, so you, um, you didn't even have Count Your Bruises at this time. Was, you would write so, it later? Okay, so we, I would have the initial idea for that song already, and then this conversation occurs. And then we go on this long tour, and on that tour, I finish the song. And then I bring it to the band, and then we all kind of work on it more together. Um, but I finished the full, like, first draft of the, that song on that subsequent tour after this conversation. And, I, yeah, I think I'm right in, in lumping Liver Alone in with that as well. Um, and, and, uh, and, like, one or two more. Like, there was a couple B-sides that, like, didn't end up making it. But, like, you know, we were – that was – like, we went back and recorded, like, a handful more songs. So – on that tour we were working on more music and at that point we're kind of like all right like this is cool like i mean we might as well like fucking take this shit seriously and like listen to this guy who's been in his own band for 
longer than we've you know been alive or whatever at this point. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of the beginning of the kind of you know return to the studio, and then Mike. So now, fast forward to the winter, early early two thousand nine. Mike comes to Toronto in the dead of winter from California, and we hang out in our jam space with him for like four days. And we didn't want to be in the studio because we wanted it to just be a little more casual. Um, may, looking back, like maybe we should have been in the studio just to get more stuff down. But it was it was fun. Like we were just kicking it with them in our jam space. And Steve was there too because Steve, this whole process, Steve Risen has been along for it too, producing the record. So now we have Fat Mike coming up to Toronto to co-produce the album, uh, which which is exciting, you know? And then, so part of that was going through songs that he had already heard and coming up with ideas that, you know, he thought like could be positive changes. And then we showed him new songs too. And that was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, another reason why we wanted to be in the jam space is because we wanted to just like, we didn't want Ryzen to be on the hook with like, I mean, we wanted him involved in that process of producing and stuff, but at the same time, he's running studio as well. He's, you know, he he's 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 an engineer and a producer. Like, if he had another band booked, like, yeah, dude, like, we can record everything we're working on with Mike in the jam space, and then if you got to, you know, if 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 you got to be in another session, we can show you later. So that was kind of the idea, and there were certain ideas that we came up with in that jam space that really like made the record, you know, way better. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Now we didn't go with every single idea that we kind of went over as a group that weekend, but it was, it felt fun. Like, like kind of, I don't know, like digging up the garden altogether. So, so to speak. Um, the first two releases were you just, were you just going to the studio, smashing them out? There really wasn't much input past the band and Steve. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That first record we recorded, like we were 16. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we, we, you know, like there was our, our, our world was so small, you know? Uh, and then Dude, the you could record, hold that up against anyone's 16 year old recordings <laughs> and it dummies 99.9%. So <laughs> thanks, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, but like, you know, all that to say, like it was, we were still kids. So we didn't fucking know anyone else really out there was interested or whatever. So it was, yeah, it was just us and Steve. And then the great awake, I want to say that Mike, cause we sent Mike all these live off the floor demos for the great awake. And I feel like he wanted us to release that as the record. <laughs> and then we were kind of like, let's, we're going to, we want to prove to you that we can make a fucking record actually, you know? So, but it was cool. Cause he, he was a, he was a, a cheerleader of ours from, the get-go like once we you know started working with them so that was fucking blew our minds so anyways the cavalcade thing was like i guess kind of a rocky start um but in the end like that's only because we wanted it out because we thought it was ready and we were just ripping on tour playing so many shows meeting so many people making friends with a lot of bands all over the world and promoters and just like we were like we gotta keep this shit going you know what i mean so we, it was we were young and we were naive like now dude like there's a reason why we take years between records now you know what i mean like now we want to get it right and this record was really the beginning of that was like take your time get it right it wasn't the 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 way the initial lesson kind of came to us wasn't really ideal but in the end like didn't take us long to figure out that this works for us you know yeah 
And what about um? I'm just looking here at the the LP right now. So album art was that it's, it's Snowgrove, like the the tattooer. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's Alex right. Alex Snowgrove. Snowgrove. Okay. Yeah. So was did you have concept for album art, or or was this just something she had already drawn up, or, or how did the how did the artwork go? We spoke. Her and I spoke on the phone a couple times about the kind of concept of the record like this is really the only like i want to say i mean i think every record from every band ever is vaguely conceptual because it kind of represents like a snapshot of your life you know what i mean like a like a you know like a little time frame or whatever um but like the subject matter in on this record in particular and these songs on cavalcade really pretty early on like the stuff i found myself like drawn to writing about it had a pretty constant through line of like comparing what we're doing to, well, I shouldn't say comparing what we were doing, but um, maybe just romanticizing what we were doing and what we wanted to do with our lives and music and all this stuff and what it would really take, like being away from home and traveling and this and that as like people hopping on trains and looking like, you know, like, like heading across the country during the great depression and trying to find work elsewhere and leaving family and friends behind to just go somewhere else to not necessarily live their dream at that part, you know, at that point in history, but to just do it. Uh, cause that's what they had to do. Right. So hence kind of the back, the back cover. If, if people have yeah. the LP, you see the trains, you see the people, you see the little pickpocketing kids, a whole bunch. Of- exactly. So that was, yeah, that, that, that became like a real, like, that's like a lot of what carry the banner or the song became to be about. And there's a, like, a, a lot more songs than just that, but it was, it was a theme that kept popping up. So I knew that that would be a fun thing to kind of like, there's a lot of imagery there. Right. So it would be a, a, like a cool, a cool thing to explore for the artwork. And I think it was just like in explaining that to Snowgrove, um, that, you know, she, she obviously like came up with the artistic vision of, the the girl on the horse and the dogs and all that stuff to like kind of start with this you know um like a victim kind of you know uh like the woman on the horse being attacked by these dogs is kind of leading leading this pack like once you look at the whole uh kind of drawing the whole piece she's she's kind of leading this this lineup, this this pack of people, these like weary travelers and stuff somewhere oh, yeah, else. Yeah, so I just if, I just realized you know it I mean? wraps. Yeah, I'm holding it, it up right it, now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we uh, we we talked a lot about you know just kind of like what the songs were about and like I just had this weird obsession with like that era back then um, and like because it you know it's just it was it was purely out of like a romantic thing i wasn't like actually looking at it seriously and being like, wow those are really devastating time in human history it was more of just like wow people just did what they had to do you know i mean it's a little akin to what maybe we're about to experience now but um you know i mean it's strange but yeah she she definitely came up with the 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 uh, incredible uh you know artistic vision of like the animals and the girl and all that kind of stuff it started with that and then it kind of continued to the the line of people and yeah it's she nailed it yeah looks great now whose idea was it this i guess people have to go back this was 2010 when when shit like album leaks were still an issue (laughs) so whose idea was it it's maybe what 10 seconds of the common collection plays 
and then it's it's just some phone recording. Is it you guys playing Sabbath songs? It's not. So none of that stuff was played by us. It was oh, okay, all. Okay. This is this is all early like internet mining kind of stuff. Like we were, we were. Uh, you know, this was kind of like early meme shit, you know? Yeah. Dude, I fell for this leak. Like, the amount of time, oh, the amount dude. of folders I downloaded thinking this was out a couple weeks early. Like, <laughs> God damn it, every time. I'm happy it worked. Uh, it was Paul and John's idea. Yeah. And it's great because and it, it's it was literally an incredible like idea. guys like me stealing stuff. Like, I just gave up because yeah. I kept, yeah, I know, you know, every album leaked. Worked. You would have every album pretty much a month before they were out. Yeah, remember then, when that was a thing that yeah. you were actually concerned about? I remember like Insane. like the what was it White Crosses? Which one leaked yeah. that like really hurt against me? It leaked like two months earlier or something. I remember hearing I remember yeah. hearing a leak of that pretty early. Yeah, yeah. so it was like because yeah. I remember, but it was like yeah, I literally I three or four different files came up and they were all that, and I just gave up. I stopped looking <laughs> for the real one. So <laughs> it was it was definitely an idea that was born out of obviously trying it like trying to deter people from you know downloading a leaked version of the record or whatever and we never really heard of anyone doing that not to say that we were the first to do it I, I i can't believe we were but we'd never seen anyone do it no one in our like kind of circle of friends of bands had done it or whatever so we were like this would be fun and there was also the time when we were in the van all the time even when we were home like dude even when we were home from tour we would drive around richmond hill pick up friends of ours like you know in the evening and just like kind of like park the van somewhere and like smoke weed and hang out and you know what I mean? we were just always in that fucking van so there was a lot of a lot of a lot of creative you know uh endeavors born out of that you know within the within the, the wall space of you know the, that, that that van but i mean john and paul nailed it dude like they it was their idea they made it like themselves and the i remember us all talking about how we needed to have a bit of the actual song in there so it would be believable because remember because because we start we started talking about like the early days of mp3 pirating and stuff like that like napster and shit i remember having this like so many people around our age like like i had that song that was the kids in america by Lagwagon, but it wasn't Lagwagon. i think it was maybe wax or something or like it was another band but someone yes, this in the early days the of MP3s yeah, yeah. just tagged songs whatever they wanted, right? So that's how I discovered you know. Seven Seconds. I was trying to download uh, <laughs> Goldfinger's '99 Red Balloons. Hell Got yeah! Seven Seconds version of it, and then that just opened the floodgates. There you go. There you go. So I mean, you know, we we, we were talking about how that kind of thing would happen so often at the early age of MP3s and stuff. So we thought it would be funny to have an actual snippet of the song in there. And I don't know if the initial idea was to have the beginning of the song or if it was just going to be like at some point the song, like a snippet of the actual song has got to be in there. But then we kind of landed on, well, you got to start it with that because no one's going to fast forward past 30 seconds of a song. That's all like a cat piano. And one like, yeah, one. So, yeah, one was like a cat piano that I think John downloaded on his like iPod touch. 
So that was him playing the cat piano. I remember like the common collection. It's yeah, it's like you get the first little, and it's basically right before the the words really come in, and it just switches yeah. to. It sounds like someone if you just stood in the hallway of a rehearsal factory when it's 9 p.m. on a Friday and it's just packed <laughs> and everyone's just playing the worst riffs. Like that's what it sounded like. Yeah, yeah. We we had so much fun like mining the internet for weird shit to put in there like well i think one of them is like a he's like a russian opera singer singing let it be i think is one of them it's so funny and it was just a video that we'd always watch anyways yeah it was just it was just one of those things that we'd always watch anyways and then we we're like oh we gotta we gotta put let it be in there and then you know what i mean it was it was so fun to watch these dudes put that together and then to see how effective it was no joke punknews.org was doing like a stream of the record and they had well there's 12 songs in that record there was like the first 10 songs like we had to listen through it to make sure they had the right versions and they had like one of like either song 10 or 11 they had the, the, the fake one? leak version oh, no. <laughs> on the punk news stream which we loved we thought it was hilarious i mean that was that was the that was the epitome of, of to us it working was that like even like these like these people we know that are running this website and like this legit stream these music journalists that love punk and really did give a voice to a lot of bands oh, big in that time. era especially, especially you know they helped that, us yeah. they helped us huge man you know and but even they had the fucking one of the fake songs and it was it was a real fun thing that John and Paul kept doing like I mean by the time Inviting Light came out uh, you know. Um, album leaks were pretty much gone because that's only a couple years ago now. And then, you know, Division of Spoils, the B-Sides thing, everything was already out, so we weren't really concerned about it then. But Dead Language, they made they made one for Dead Language, and it was they took they took the um, the logic of like, okay, we're gonna use the in, the intro of the actual song for each track. They basically got up right up until I started singing. So in the Dead Language one, you'd hear me just start to like, you'd hear me like take a breath or start the first syllable of a word, and then Spiderwebs by No Doubt would pop in there. <laughs> Every single song was Spiderwebs by No Doubt. <laughs> so oh, we, when they were, we were on tour in Europe somewhere, and they were working on it in the van on drives and stuff, and like I had that in my head for that whole fucking month. Dude. I can just picture the cloud of smoke. You open the door, and it's just the two of them just laughing, sitting behind a computer. Oh yeah, they were yeah. It was definitely an extracurricular activity. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, they had they had they had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it was great. <laughs> All right, so the album kicks in pretty hard right away with Common Collection. When you're when you're planning albums, orders, stuff like that, are you writing thinking like, hey, I need I need an album opener? I mean, yes and no. Like you like. It's tough. It's a tough thing to answer across the board because I know I I, I know that once we had that kind of initial like intro of that song and the way we wanted to have like the drums come in and everyone come in for a second, drop out and this and that, like it kind of just felt like the opener right then. Just like when we wrote July August Reno for The Great Awake, it just felt like it. Like it wasn't that we were setting out to write the 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 opener. It was that it kind of just spoke to us that way pretty early on. I will say, though, that there have been almost every 
album closer song is written as an album closer. Okay. Okay. That makes so, sense. Cause yeah, even, yeah. yeah. Fred's got slacks, July, August, Reno, uh, common collection, you know, you're hitting pretty hard right off the bat. If you don't count the little yeah. intro kind of thing on, uh, <laughs> on the first album. Yeah, destroy. please let's not count. Let's not count that intro. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. I was 16. Yeah. You got to pass. It's all good. <laughs> oh. And then so Carry the Banner, we've kind of pretty much touched on that already with uh kind of the theme of the album. But when you look at it now like one line that I always think about, I'm the one who let you down when leaving town. Mm-hmm. When you wrote that as how old were you at this time? 19. No, I would have been, been 21. I would have been 19, yeah. 2009. Yeah. yeah, 21. And then I was 21 pro yeah. Yeah, 21, 22. Now, so you're well, you're doing this some 10-year shows for this album, right? Did I see that mm-hmm. correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're trying to, but <laughs> Right. So when you're looking <laughs> that at goes. that theme, yeah, I guess. Just cuz of COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> So when you're looking at that, we're good. It's just <laughs> we're fine. But... We're fine. Yeah. It's just the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so when you look at a lyric like that now, ten years later, do you still mm-hmm. read it the same way? Is it how has it evolved for you? Especially like you, you know, you're married now as opposed to mm-hmm. being just a 21 year old kid, just a frivolous young <laughs> young adult who really didn't have many cares in the world. Um, no, it's definitely evolved. The sentiment remains, though. You know what I mean? It's still like this is still my life. I still am, you know, required to leave my home quite often to, like, get out there and do, I mean, I'll, like, do what I love. It's not, like, some sob story. But it's still, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's like a passion and a livelihood that takes me away from home. And, yeah, as a married guy now, especially, I mean, it's been this way forever. But, I mean, especially now, like, it just... Yeah, it definitely it's it's definitely tough. Um a lot of the time, especially that initial like you know, exit, it's tough. Uh luckily though, nowadays my trips away from home are much shorter than they used to be cuz dude, I mean, we were talking about a 10-week tour earlier. If I ever had to do a fucking 10-week tour now, no. No, thank you. Oh my god. Yeah, maybe 10 weeks in a whole year. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's not to say that I don't love being out there. I do. I mean, all the guys in the flats do, and I, I certainly do. But, um, you know, it just changes. You can't you can't run that ragged this deep into in, in, into your game, man. So, you know, but, yeah, the sentiment remains. Um, it just, you know, maybe I'm just kind of letting people down for a different reason when I'm leaving home now. <laughs> a responsible reason, yeah. And then, did you know basically that was a single before going into the studio, or is that one that kind of came together more in the studio? That one was pretty much good to go. Um, I don't know if we knew it was a single. Um, I don't know if really the history books will, <laughs> you know, classify it as a single necessarily. But um, we knew we knew pretty pretty quick into making that record that that was like that was. I mean, it's dude. I, that is still one of my favorite songs to play live um, with with the band. It's so fun, man. People f- still freak over it, and it's and I, yeah, a lot of the subject matter for me singing it still after all these years is pretty relatable, and that's that doesn't happen too often. Um, you know, I, I think that we went into it knowing it was for us at least, and where we were coming from, and where we kind of wanted to go with the record. That it was a pretty powerful like mission statement for the whole thing. Um, so that's kind of why we 
decided with that, um, of course, to go with that one first because we thought it was a pretty good summation of the whole, you know, kind of thing. Sort of your thesis statement. Kind of, yeah. Closest. Th- I mean, I never went to college or university, so that is the closest. <laughs> yeah, sorry, fucking thing shit. I no, have to. Yeah. <laughs> it's the closest thing I'll ever have to a thesis statement. Yeah. <laughs> so next track, bleed. I was curious how you go about writing these songs because the lyrics almost read like you had these lyrics ahead of time, just the way they're kind of yeah. formatted, and then you fit them to some music. Do you have a process you do every time, or is it always a little different? I mean, it varies. I think everyone would give you that same answer. You know, like it's it really depends on the on. I mean, I got a lot of things. Um, that song in particular was pretty fragmented. Um, Actually, that's one of the ones that Mike, like, fucking definitely saved. We put out a demo 7-inch recently. Well, I guess it's coming out soon. Um, And the demo of Bleed, the original version of Bleed, is on this 7-inch. And only 10 years later did we all feel comfortable putting it out there in the world because it's so weird. It's so weird. There's extra parts. There's this and that. There's so much extra shit going on. And Mike... I mean, he was able to just see it for what it should be, which was awesome. And he he definitely like showed us the light on that song. And we hacked, I shouldn't say hacked, but we, we removed uh, certain portions of that song to really make it kind of come alive. And he, he I mean, he, yeah, he did a, a, a hell of a job with that song for us. It was awesome. Um, so this song is pretty weirdly put together. Um, luckily, like thematically, it still makes sense. Although, like the lyrics, yeah, but like the lyrics are so weird in the song, anyways. That I mean, I could tell you what I think it's about. It, it, I wrote it about, but I don't know this far, like a- after the fact, if I'd really be, you know, doing it much justice. Um, I think it's just about like being away and whatever. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the record is, but when when you come into practice for for other songs, are you coming in with basically finished things? Like you have the music, you have the lyrics, you're just bringing it to everyone else, and they're adding parts, or are you all doing it together? It's really it's really evolved over time in different ways. Like um, I want to say ninety percent of the record before Cavalcade, The Great Awake, was written all four of us in a room together. Um, we probably wrote, yeah, but like most of that record, almost the entire record, like bar by bar together. And then I'd come up with like melodies and lyrics later. Um, with this record, because we had really started to tour so much more, um, there's a lot of downtime on tour, but it's kind of a pain in the ass to like jam on the road. And also like, what are you going to do? You have, you're going to like sound check for like an hour and bomb everyone, everyone hates out you, yeah. at the club, <laughs> yeah. like like the other bands you're on tour. The the bartender just trying to like set up and not hear you play the same fucking four bars in a row over and over again. <laughs> like, like you're putting that you'd be putting them through the same hell we put my parents through when we jammed in my parents' basement. You know what yeah, I mean? They, yeah, like yeah. they are they are the real heroes here because they fucking endured listening to us like painstakingly going through like bar by bar of so many of our earliest songs. But you know, at this point. Um, for the most part, it, it's not just myself, but like, uh, so, like a member of the band will essentially come to the table with a song or at least like a riff or a hook or something like that. 
sometimes the, there's no melody, sometimes there's no lyric, sometimes there is a melody but no words yet, and there's so many different versions of this kind of uh, you know thing. But um, usually there's a pretty well thought out skeleton being brought to the table these days, and then you want to get everyone to take a crack at it, um, you know, kind of showing, putting a little bit of their color to it. You know what I mean? Just because you want it to, you're collaborating with other musicians, so like it's not the coolest thing to come in and be like, this is how it is. Like, I mean, I know there's a lot of bands out there, but that's never how we've, that's never how we've really rolled. I mean, you know, if it works, it works. I will say like that there have been songs where I felt very strongly about how I thought they were ready to go. Um, and that maybe not to be the coolest way to put it, but like, you know, there've been a lot of, uh, a good number of songs. Once, once we kind of made this shift into like, we tour so much, like we're kind of all working in different corners and then we're going to bring ideas to the table. There was, there's been a handful of songs, at least a handful of songs over the years where I'm kind of like, I think this one's good. And luckily I'm in a band with, you know, some pretty great and um, patient understanding and support of people that they usually don't make a fuss about it. If I feel very strongly about it, I think they know that we could be onto something, or at least I feel like I'm onto something is the more diplomatic way to put it. Which is insane because I can't think of any band that's been a together as long as you guys with the same four members <laughs> yeah that's nuts yeah it doesn't feel that crazy to us but i guess it doesn't happen too often which i bet i mean we're lucky for that <laughs> yeah yeah it feels normal to us i mean it's you're so inside a thing that that's all you know you know what i mean so like it feels like it just yeah feels like home just feels like the right thing yeah Anyway, so next song, Here Comes the Treble. Here Comes Treble. Yeah. Uh, so specifically for the... you Now, do you remember the Canadian release tour for this this album? Which I was on with you guys. The Canadian... Was it the Mockingbird tour? Yeah, with Menzingers and Fake Problems. Oh, no. Yeah, that was a bad title <laughs> of my life. <laughs> which oh, I God. wanted to kind of hit on on this song. Because I remember yeah, absolutely. we were doing that tour, which is crazy to think now. You guys, Menzinger's Fake Problems. It was a, a nutty lineup. And it was like only... I mean, don't sell yourself short, man. Mockingbird Wish Me Luck was there, too. And that <laughs> okay. was fucking... Yeah. I'm serious. That was a great lineup. I mean, that, that must have been... That was in the winter, right? So that must have yes. been months after this record came out. But the, still that same year. Yeah, and thankfully it was all fairly close because it ran... It was like right around Christmas because it was running through my exams at university so like i remember hamilton like paul set everything up for me i i had an exam at seven supposed to be seven to ten and we were scheduled to play at 8 30 and i wrote that exam in like 25 minutes in guelph handed it in ran out the door paul set everything up for me he literally came out and took my car so i could just walk into the casbah and literally started playing it but I just remember that Damn, tour. Dude, I mean, it was, it was yeah, just that, brutal I mean, weather. It was chaos through all of it. In Quebec City, so everyone had to drive. I mean, especially fake yeah. problems. Had to drive from Florida <laughs> to Quebec up to, City. That's crazy. Um, well, was it I just mean, Quebec City and Montreal? I'm not surprised that Quebec City and Montreal. Yeah, the and then the rest was Ontario. Yeah, yeah. But that was like a 10-day tour, though. Like, that was, tour, yeah, which I think especially now bands wouldn't understand. Like being in Ontario, two Quebec dates for ten days. Like the fact yeah. that two American bands also did that, like unheard the fact of, that 
Dude, absolutely. The fact that those bands, I mean, these are like, we're talking about longtime friends of both of ours. You know what I mean? I mean, I know that the Menzingers stayed like on your, like slept on your floor on that tour. So you had, so wait, you had the Menzingers sleeping on your floor at home during that tour a few nights here and there while you're going off to do exams. Yeah, doing school. So they were at my parents' house. I would be at my place in Guelph. Yeah. But that was because we had done some shows with them before. Right. And so we kind of knew them before that. And then because we were all under the Kreef banner at that time. That's right. And then, yeah, to to have these American bands come up and like trust us with kind of like all right man let's do it we're here for it yeah, <laughs> like yeah. to trust us with kind of hosting the party or whatever and i i why i don't think i was a very good host on that tour <laughs> i was gonna was say because i remember being life. on that tour being like dude this is the best like your <laughs> yeah. record had just come out i was like this thing's killing it it's been out you know you've done a pretty big cycle already now you're doing the can all the shows are packed i was like dude this rules and then it was just like you were just down that whole time i was miserable <laughs> yeah that sucked i mean the shows were awesome and I, shows, I did yeah. have a lot of fun I, I definitely like fake problems stayed at my parents house a lot on that tour and i i know that i like drunkenly barely talked chris farron's ear off so many nights on the couch in my parents basement and i love him forever (laughs) for not only that for many other reasons but yeah that was i mean i was young i was stupid and it was just a strange time in my life but that's okay that's okay because you know you you you, uh you know without you can never fall if you never sorry you you uh you never rise if you never rise if you never fall but i remember that was kind of the first time because it was like you know i was if that was 2010, yeah, I was 20 years old, kind of trying to decide. If is you this, were gonna... and, and, you know, but I had only seen, you know, what I thought was the music was the best. There was never any down. There's <laughs> right. no, you know, it's like, <laughs> it was all show just was friends, arm in arm, yeah. singing along. Yeah. All the Which was hilarious because I wasn't even yeah. friends with everyone in my own band at the time yet. I thought I could make <laughs> it work on that. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh my God. But it, it was just a, it was an interesting perspective. And when I listen to this song, Here Comes the Trouble, it's like you kind of, what, what's on this record a lot, these themes, it was like I, I saw it in, in real time as well and saw yeah. how it was weighing. Yeah, there was gnarly shit going on, not only in my life, but in like people, like in friends' lives who were on that tour with us and just family member stuff with like, 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 like family members of friends. So there was like, it was a really fucked up time. That was kind of like, that end of 2010 was kind of like the the end of like a i want to say it was like a weird two year long shit streak of just fucked up shit happening to friends and family members like just health wise and just like interpersonal things and you know so it was i think a lot of stuff around that time was coming to a head and i was just yeah me and i wasn't the only one like miserable but it was uh it wasn't it, it wasn't at all because of what was going on in the band you know that was the only good thing really at that point which was <laughs> i don't know it was still like yeah it's just it causes this vicious cycle though of you know like i then i'm out there singing about the the pain all the time <laughs> the pain, <yeah. laughs> so it's like this serves as a constant reminder of you know the bed i made strange man strange it's a big it's yeah it's it's it it, it quickly stopped being an escape and was a painful reminder <laughs> around that time of what the fuck I'd done. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Now, he was a jazz man. When uh 
I think when everyone thinks, especially as as you dig deeper in the discography, the kind of the ska influence kind of goes away. That's true. And I, I myself have skanked, uh, you know, pretty hard. To <laughs> I must tell you, I'm surprised to hear that, dude. I, I'm, oh I like man, it. I love the Planet Smashers. I I had I had my Hell moments yeah. when I was yes when when I got destroyed to create it was because my my friend Kiefer who was two years older. I was in grade nine. He was in grade eleven. He was like, yo, Flatliners. This is the band. <laughs> and then and then he took me to a show and he was skanking. I was like, what is that? And then you know. What are they doing with their bodies? What are they doing? <laughs> How are they moving their bodies that way? And then it wait, was look, checkered wait, vans watch for. Watch them. They're just waiting for the ska part in the song, the bridge. They're just waiting for the one tiny ska part to just start dancing. And then they're just gonna once the part is in, they're gonna stop and just stand there and wait for the next upstroke. <laughs> but I, I, I feel like I feel like we had like a hate period of a while where like ska was the butt of every joke. Oh yeah. But I feel like now we're almost shifting into like. Sky's like, back. Dude. Like, not back, but, like, the people who are still with it, people are like, oh, you know what? These people were legit. Like, they just love this, and yeah. it's fine. It, and... is, it is, like, it is like a very pure and just kind of, like, un, untouched love for a genre of music, the love for ska. You know, it's, like, there's so, because it became the butt of every joke, like you're saying, and the, the true heads, the real fans... They never wavered. They're still, you know, like, do you remember the slackers? Cause I do. And they're incredible. And I listen to them all the time. Yeah. Now when you're jumping back into these songs for these 10 year stuff, was it, a, was it weird at all? Or are you like stoked when, when you get to, to play stuff like this again? No, it's, it's wicked. I love it. Um, I think I can easily speak on behalf of everyone in the band to say that it's really fun. Um, you know, this record in particular is a little, it's kind of, it's kind of hefty, like it's kind of long, uh, but that's what we were, we were kind of interested in like writing longer songs at that point, um, which, you know, some stayed that way and some were kind of, you know, further sculpted, let's say, but, um, you know, like with Jazzman in particular, like that was, that song for a long time was like a staple live. And then it just, it kind of took a backseat to, Honestly, I feel like once we put Dead Language out, that part of the set that we always wanted to have Jazzman in was kind of replaced by a song called Tail Feathers. Because it was not a ska song, but it was like a similar kind of break in the chain. Um, and just because we obviously have kept putting newer music out, I mean, every four years or something, <laughs> you know, Jazzman wasn't as much of a live staple, but it's it's always super fun to play that song live. Like, it's... It was, and and the whole kind of like moving away from ska thing, it it never really crossed our mind as something that people thought we would make a conscious decision to move away from. It just kind of occurred, like a lot of these things do. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people think that there's this big plan for a lot of bands they they, they like and a lot of songs that artists they enjoy have written and a lot of it is just fucking it just happens yeah you know? it's like people uh, notice that but you know wouldn't notice like the d beat disappearing like that it's like yeah. you know that yeah. disappeared just as much as you went along that's as true. say a ska part but you know that's, that's not a true. focus at all exactly see because the because the numbers in the ska community are they might be fewer than than there were before but they're strong you know Last of the but true. they may lack in numbers they they certainly make up for in might yeah. 
<laughs> so I think we hurt. I think we unintentionally hurt some feelings. So yeah. I'm sorry about nah, that. Ten years later, I'm okay to say I'm sorry. Can't get out. <laughs> Speaking of uh, uh, powerful song, Shithawks next. Now, yeah. Did did Paul bring this drum part forward? He perfected it. Like I had it in my brain of like I want to say that the like I had like a weird like um when you have like a pair of boots and the fucking like washer or dryer kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like a that crazy was your descriptor? Yeah. chaotic kind of thing. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. Um it's fucking wild. But I couldn't I mean I I like when I was much younger like played a little drums, but I could never have shown him the, accurately the idea that I had in my mind. So I kind of just explained it to him, and I probably did a thing where I was like, you know, like, like with my mouth, and he's like, okay, I, I uh, will try to decode your message. And yeah, man, he like it didn't take him long to really like the the beat that he came up with is not the exact beat I had in my brain. I don't mean to put it that way because I didn't have an exact thing in my brain. I just wanted constant, constant motion. Um, and he, dude, like watching, like still to this day when we play that song, oh, and I get to watch yeah. him, especially when we're like just in our jam space, so I'm facing him playing music, because otherwise he's like, I got my butt to him the whole time we're playing shows. When I get to watch him play that beat, he's, he's really good at this in general, but especially with that song, he makes it look so easy. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I love about it too, is like, <clears throat> when he has that skill set but he's never annoying like i say this like yeah. so many yeah, bands not, he, the drummer just ruins it for me oh yeah like there's so many awful drummers and i think a lot of people don't cuz not way more people play guitar and stuff so they don't they don't understand right away that a, a drummer is bad but they just feel it more than anything <laughs> right. i mean there's a lot of amazing drummers out there that perform awfully and not as <laughs> yes. like, and it's it, it's no question of their skill. I feel like it's it's uh, you got to read the room, man. Like you're, you know, you don't have to. It's like you know, you're like the drummer version of an overactor. Yeah, that's you know, like you're Paul like you're like this. he can yeah, do it, like, but he's never stepping on feet. He's never in the yeah. Way. He's not he's not Al Pacino walking onto a set thinking, you know, look at me, I'm Al Pacino. I'm going to overact this fucking the shit out of this role. No, he's just getting in there. He's fucking getting to work. He's Hopefully blowing a couple people's minds, especially with this song, and then fucking he's out of there. And he's, you know, he's setting your drums up when you're writing an exam. He's he is the king of the drum exactly. club. Exactly. Yeah, he is. He really up. is. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you guys record, do you do everything to a click and and do it kind of person by person, or were you this doing record, that for this? We did. Yeah. This okay. record we did for the Great Awake for the first records we did. Um, but most of Dead Language, there's no click, and it's mostly live. Except the vocals and like guitar, guitar dubs. But um, yeah, this record was all, Jesus, just fucking so labored over. You know what I mean? Like not like not like nothing took that long. It was just doing like I mean, in the end, we recorded like eighteen songs or something for this record, with all the time in between, just like all the times or all the time we spent work like just working on writing the songs and this and that. By the time we got to fucking recording, I, I, I honestly hated, I used to hate making records. This was the last record we made in my era of hating recording music. <laughs> I fucking hated it um, just because it was so boring. I think, I think it's pretty split. I think people either wish they could record and never play shows or they just want to play and, right. and can't stand being in the studio. True. 
Yeah, I mean, I I love it now. It honestly changed the record after this one we're talking about because we kind of stumbled upon making a record, um, which is maybe a story for another time. I don't know. But, uh, you know, at this point with this album, yeah, it's just we were tracking everything. Paul's an amazing drummer. John's an amazing bass player. Like, Scott and I are both very capable guitar players. At this, like, back then, we were all taking it really seriously but none of us were like the musicians we are now and that's not to say that now we're some all fucking incredible musicians it's just that we've been playing so much music for so long now that like you only get better with time back then we were all okay you know what i mean like um but you know like paul had this amazing ability to like get through takes fast Oh man, there's nothing that crushes a, a recording session than just the drums or whatever you decide to do first, which is usually the drums. Oh, just God. getting off to a horrible start. Yeah. Like I can only imagine having that momentum off of Paul was probably at least like, okay, this is real. We're going now. He he's crushing it. it. Does, we all got to do yeah, it. Yeah, it does set the precedent. In yeah, for sure. Because oh my God, if you start yeah, like if you start recording a record and the drummer's biffing it and just taking fucking forever, you're like this is gonna be a while. It just really kills your momentum. But at the same time, it was just, yeah, we we're tracking everything, everything's to a click. And then it, it, we, you know, we're still, we were young. Like, we, this is our third record. So we had experience making records a little bit at this point, but we we're still so young and trying to even like figure out who we were more than, you know, who like the band was or what kind of music we were writing that, you know, you second guess, a, you question a lot of what you're doing in the studio. At least I did. I think that was another reason why I didn't really enjoy recording so much because we'd like record something to a click and it would feel good and then we would listen back without the click and it would feel slow or it would you know what I mean or it just didn't it didn't have a life to it or something like that so luckily I think now when I listen back to this record which I had to recently to kind of relearn a song that we never really played live <laughs> uh, I love how it turned out you know what I mean? Um, and I and I did like have a lot of fun making this record. There are a lot of incredible memories doing it. I think it's just like I used to get so stressed out making records because I just wanted it to be precise and perfect. And yeah, you know. But I mean, I don't know. I think that I think that uh, we were lucky in that we had that we. I mean, obviously, still have a guy like Paul to kick it off the proper way to kind of like you know he really sent us kind of in there smoking yeah. <laughs> kind of literally actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now coming up to monumental now uh when's the last time you've watched the music video for this song oh my god it's been a long time dude. Man. it is so good <laughs> you still have that white epiphone les paul i do yeah, yeah. you still you, you look like children Oh God! It's hilarious, yeah. but uh, what I, was... like a, I think I'm wearing a fucking fedora in that fucking video. Pretty sure. Yes, something yes, like that. I think wearing you're some wearing some dumbass hat. hat. Yeah. But oh my um, God. But <laughs> it just made me kind of think of the days back back then when it was like, it almost seems to be reverse right now. Like before, it was like you'd have a little lead up to the record. You'd maybe drop a music video or two, get you know, even a punk news style website to premiere a song. And then it was like the album came out and the real work started. Whereas True. now it almost seems like with Spotify streaming, all this stuff, there's such a long lead up that by the time the album comes out, it's kind of just whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Like, you know, there's going to be a touring. Cycle. Oh my God. But if you even get a full record, if I mean, you, exactly. And, and you know, that's not me necessarily, you know, throwing shade at, uh, 
singles. I, I, I like it a lot. I think it's really cool. I mean, fuck, I've even put out some of my own in the last year. But if you even get a record now, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, when you do, it's true. I think, like, you know, you're, you're lucky if you get a touring cycle out of it. Or I think people kind of forget that the record came out. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems crazy different. Like, it's, you know... It, and it, it really seems to me in the last even like year and a half, two years, especially, it's really gone down that lane, like real, really more so. Like, I feel like there's not light much seems of right on the cusp. Yeah, honestly. And like, and I can only speak to my own experience with this stuff. Right. So I agree. I think like we like we put that record out. There was, you know, like a label change and a stylistic shift and this and that. So there was stuff that people were you know uh that we're able to talk about but it was it it kind of feels to me on that cusp of like shortly after that i started seeing a lot of bands that i really love uh and like and you know uh whatever just kind of every genre um of music like putting out singles it's kind of cool i mean i don't not like it i think it's really cool it's just it's just an interesting shift in um maybe attention span largely also the just the the length of the lead up like now you see like yeah band drops a song and it's like you're not gonna see say it's if it is a band like say something the size of the national you know they're releasing a song and you're not gonna see that record for four to six months yeah like it's just remember when so um, different when weezer when weezer put out the white album a few years ago they did a song a month for i think five months i think they put half the record out beforehand and then, because I think at that point, those guys have always seemed pretty smart about how they do things. And, um, you know, in like even if, you know, throughout their career, they've put out some records that aren't as good as the Blue Album Pinkerton. Sorry, everybody. Like, <laughs> you can't, you know, they, they fucking captured lightning on a ball twice. Who, who else has really done that? But they always have these big hits, you know? And even if you don't like the record, if you never listen to the record of whatever, Ratitude or one of the, Hurley, one of the ones in the middle, you know that that single... It's still big, you know? So, like, I think they were smart that they kind of saw where things were going. So with that White Album, which is actually a pretty good Weezer record, um, they put out half the record beforehand, one song at a time. So, you know, it still, it took five months for that record to come out once people knew there was a new Weezer record coming out. It's a lot, it's a lot to ask of people now, which is funny. Yeah. Wait, now, would Monumental and even, I guess... Carrie, was it? Would you have been on Much Music still at that time with these videos? Yeah, yeah, that was like the end. That was the end of it. I was, gonna say, I was trying us. to picture yeah. if that was like kind yeah. of when it all started falling off. At least for us, that was like th this record was the end of that. We we made videos for other records, um, but you know, at that point when Dead Language came out and whatever, yeah, it was just all for the internet. For for any Americans, Much Music was our shoddy MTV. Yeah, but you know what? Videos, but was awesome. Biased opinion, but I think it was maybe superior. I don't <laughs> I know. I think, man, the punk show with George Strombolopoulos and the Wedge, hell yeah, Damien, like that dude. That dude gave us a huge shot when we were like sixteen, like when we were actually younger. We were. He came to our first ever show in this in the city because we grew up in the burbs of Toronto. So he came to our first show and filmed it. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of thing. a lot of pressure, man. And it was just him with a. It was just George Strombolopoulos with a big ass. With a big ass camera <laughs> That's for the even punk funnier. show, just yeah, him. Yeah. Didn't even have a camera guy. It was insane. Like there's there's one point in that thing where he 
he's like looking, he's like, he was like pointing the camera, this massive camera at himself, like talking. And then he uh, turned it around to us, introduced us. And then at one point, I think he, he handed it to one of the guys <laughs> so they could film him yeah. like asking a question. And then it was like insane. Like it Amazing. was amazing. Yeah. I've never yeah. met him before. I still want to meet him. He's a cool dude. He He's a cool like dude. He really, he really cares a lot about this kind of stuff and has like, he didn't have to fucking give us that shot when we were teenagers, like actually in grade nine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. It was very, television. very cool. Yeah, yeah. But I think, but I think that that works in my memory as a, as a, a part of the machine of why in my brain, I think much music was cooler yeah. than MTV. Definitely. Because well, I had, like, even know, in those days, like 6 PM, you could, you know, or four thirty, be home from school and there's an Alexa on fire video, you know, on TV. You're like, what yeah. is this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was wild TV times. It's true. Now, filthy habits. This also came out. Was the Cynic seven inch before or after the release? The of this Cynic record? seven inch. The the Cynic seven inch came out before the record. So okay. that was part of the promo. That was part of the promo. At that point, that seven inch came out on that tour. That like ten week tour we had booked. Once, once um, we knew that the record wasn't going to come out because the idea was that the record was going to come out fall of two thousand nine, and then that whole conversation occurs. We d- we all together decide what's best is to keep working on the record, and then at that point we knew like okay well we do have these other songs that are we never really had time for, you know one of which was Count Your Bruises so we were kind of like all right like those we kind of had to commit to at least one song off of out of these recordings that we really were confident we really loved but did not have a chance making the record, and that was Thunder Lightning. Okay. Um, and there was a third song on that seven inch too, right? There's a third song that was actually the only, sorry, not the only one of two B sides from the great awake. Oh, okay. Okay. So we, we had to cut a song called four Oh seven from the great awake only because it would, the record would not fit properly on one LP oh, with that song yeah. on it. And then or that number of songs. Double and, then, and then, yeah. Imagine our yeah. first record on fat. We're 19. They're like, Hey, you can do a double LP. No problem. Yeah. We're selling CDs for $5 oh, and uh, here's a double LP. Yeah. yeah. Only, only the clash figured that out, man. <laughs> only the clash pulled that off. Um, yeah. So we had that kicking around. So it was kind of a way for us to be like, all right, like we know that filthy habits is going to be on the record. Well, we really hoped. And then we know that this other song isn't going to make the record and we have this other one. So let's put some music out. And then, um, from there, that kind of kickstarted like what would become a whole slew of like a seven inch series around this record and the next record. It was a really nice way of like, we would record all these extra songs. Um, and then whatever we, you know, didn't, put on the record we still like yo we still put it out because we all love that song so it was a really nice like contingency plan yeah 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 (laughs) this this run of songs filthy habits liver alone sleep your life away yeah it's a wild run this is just like the bleakest (laughs) (laughs) it's like you've basically been assaulted you've you've done all the a-side where you've been hitting pretty hard the whole time monumental you kind of get you perk back up and then it's just three Mm -hmm. in a row of just like liver shots Oh yeah. Now and then we do see some light at the end of the tunnel coming out of that. But like, when you're structuring an album, 
how long how many iterations of this does it do you go through before you finally land on like this is the sequence oh man i mean fuck so many uh, you, you know what um fat mike is very talented with that so he helped a lot with this record and with actually with the great awake as well that's when we kind of learned that he he loves doing it and um he's really good at it so I mean, there's a lot of iterations of of uh, sequence to any record that we've made, at least. But at the same time, most of those iterations are largely the same at, at a or at a pretty early point in the process. Even if you end up with fucking ten different sequences, seven of the whatever, or let's say eight of the twelve songs are usually in the same position. You know, yeah, it's it's kind of ju- like there's always there, there's that classic like track seven, track eight kind of vibe to every single album ever put out. You know, it's just like that's kind of where the deep cut goes because you got to you got to. Yeah, exactly. You got to kind of you got to kind of ring them back in um, for the end. But, yeah, I think. I don't really recall exactly how many iterations or like how it all went down, but I know Mike was involved. We knew that. By the time we'd kind of finished writing the comic collection, we knew that that was going to be the opener. And obviously, and like thematically, that song is like so about that kind of great depression era thing and then carry the banner we knew was going to be up top and songs like bleed and stuff we knew should be kind of early on we knew that like shithawks and jazz man were both longer songs and weird songs but we wanted to kind of put them near the middle um which they ended up being exactly the middle and you know so like there were these kind of like these stakes we put in the ground pretty early on that didn't really seem to move much well that leads me then to the count your bruises question yeah because yeah it's putting that fucking, song second know, last so weird. especially now like if you came with this album in 2020 to a label in the streaming era and put arguably the biggest single as a second last song in the album there's no chance <laughs> yeah. they would let you do it no it would no, go certainly not. common collection carry the banner count your bruises those would be the first Why three songs I feel like labels would want us to open with Count Your Bruises yeah. now. <laughs> you know, like, and then, and then have the weird yeah. two-minute fast heavy song after that. Just yeah. be like, and then, you know, th- and then you can show the world you're an artist or whatever. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> now, was was yeah, it kind know. of like at this time, this was back when people still listened to full records, so was this kind of the the reward for those who stuck it out? I mean, yeah, it was, I remember, I remember us thinking that it would be good to have like a lighter song before new year's resolution like like we 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 knew that that was going to be the end of the record and that song's super heavy just like thematically and dude if you were filthy habits liver alone sleep Fuck, your life away man. new year's oh resolution oh my god dude <laughs> how many tailspins would fans of yeah. ours be thrown into <laughs> it would be one thinking listen just and then... thinking about their lives yeah exactly yeah there would be no re- never never repeat listeners um i mean i think it was i think it was partially that and there were other you know like brighter more major key songs like bleed and carry the banner and stuff like that but i mean I think part of the decision was that we knew that Count Your Bruises was a really strong song. Um, and it's it kind of got a little more balls than monumental. Because those are the two from this record that I, fi- that I find are the most similar. as just vibe. Is Count Your Bruises and Monumental. They're both like more sugar poppy kind of, you know, vibes. But Count Your Bruises still has like a little more kind of weight to it or something. Uh... 
and I, you know, like, well, I guess I don't have to worry about offending anyone because we wrote those songs. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it, it just, it had a little more bite to it or something like that. So it was, that was a nice thing going for it. And also, I think it was just because that song was so late in the game that we may, we, we may have, yeah, it was so late in the game. Like, we may have already had a lot of those other stakes in the ground, you know, as far as like where we thought songs should go. Um, yeah, like I remember the first wave. It's weird how those kind of songs always come up with us kind of near the end. Um, like the first wave of recording for Cavalcade, Monumental was the last song we wrote. Oh, okay, okay. And we had already started recording the record, and then I had the little riff of the chorus, like the guitar lick and the chords, but it was just that. And then one day, I think we like ended recording a little early or something, or like maybe, or maybe the opposite, maybe we just hung around later and just kind of were jamming or whatever. But we like, instead of recording a song, it was like one of the only times, maybe the only time that in the studio, we were like, we should finish writing this song. Cause otherwise, like I said, we'd always be like, well, we're too busy with other stuff. So let's fucking, you know, let's, yeah. But that, so that happened the, the first wave of recording for Cavalcade. And then with Can't Your Bruises, it was, yeah, it was like one of the last ones we recorded for the record in general. But I think it's because you get to see most of the picture when you're, when you're at that point. And it's really proven to be like, a, like an effective kind of songwriting tool or whatever to us. It's not that you're writing a song just to have that kind of song, but because I think everyone that writes music and, and is in a band or, or whatever, like you always had these little scraps of, of ideas and these little pieces of things. So if it's just like a lyric that you really love or this one riff and a couple chords or whatever, you always have these kind of things kicking around. So, I mean, you know, if like we're almost done cavalcated, then yeah, you got like, you look at that run of songs, filthy habit or yeah, filthy habits, live alone, sleep your life when you're like, Jesus Christ, this shit is grim. You know, like if you have if if there is a, an idea in that kind of song bank you got where you're like, damn, like, all right, like it's not that you're being like, we need the light. <laughs> we need we need we need the grass is always greener kind of thing. It's just you kind of already have it. You just haven't explored it yet. And now you can see that maybe you should explore it to kind of make something that's a little more well-rounded or something, you For know, sure. Now, yeah. when when you wrote New Year's, was it instantly this is the the closer, or or did you go in thinking I need to write a closer? We had like the first chunk of the song, like written. Uh, we wrote that song like all sitting around all together, kind of the, like the way we did the Great Awake. Like we wrote that whole thing together, New Year's resolutions, and like we we had like the whole, you know, first two minutes essentially or whatever it is like the, the first, I, I, it's kind of two part. it's two songs in one almost. So it's to us at least. So like we had that part down and we spent our time writing that part that, you know, first bunch of, uh, you know, like the, whatever the first, my, my, my brain just like fucking melted in my head. You hear that? <laughs> we, we have the first couple minutes done and then we kind of were just jamming. I mean, like we would, this was, we were still touring a bunch, but it was just at a point where we weren't on tour. So we were just, and we used to jam in Paul's um, parents. They had like this produce company in Etobicoke and we would jam in like a, 
like an office that they converted into a jam space for us, which was sick. (laughs) So we would just drive there from the suburbs in the van and, you know, we would smoke a lot of weed in that place and we would just jam. You know what I mean? It works, guys. It it works. And, and, um, ska music. I don't, (laughs) yeah. I don't know if we really intended initially to like write an end kind of jam to the song, but we just ended up doing it. You know what I mean? And then, that I would, but it was. I, I know it was once we kind of tacked that jam onto the song that we we're like, oh, this has to end the record, you know. Um, and then I, it was before we finished the song that we kind of made that realization, I think. And then these were the times where like we were always together, you know what I mean? So we were always able to not only play these ideas or just come up with a riff out of thin air and just like immediately bounce it off each other, but also talk about all this stuff like immediately, right there and then. And um, I miss those days, you know what I mean? Because life changes and stuff. But it was so, it was just so cool to have that. I mean, you know, it's not unique to just our band, but it was definitely like a unique period of time for us to like be able to operate that way. And uh, once we knew that we loved that kind of jam, that really chill kind of thing, we'd never really fucked with anything like that before. And it felt so good. We're like, dude, this is the end of the record for sure. And obviously this is also coming off of, the last record where we like legitimately like sat down and we're like, we should write like a seven minute long album closer, <laughs> you know, like on the great awake, it's a seven minute exit strategy kind of thing. So we'd done it before and it kind of, we stumbled upon it this time and it was, yeah, it was fun, man. Like that was, oof, the weed worked, man. I'll yeah. tell you that <laughs> so now in a, <laughs> in a sort of 10 year retrospective, uh, where do you put cavalcade in your own discography? If you were to rank it, I mean, oh, it's tough, but it's not as tough as a lot of people yeah. might think. I would say it's, I would say it's number two, but I think it will always be number two. Now, my and guess the reason is, for that inviting is that, light number one. Yes, because I was going to say it'll always be number two because the newest one is always going to be number one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's just how I operate and how I think. You know, like it just feels natural for me to be the most in love with the thing I'm doing. I mean, that record's a few years old now, but it's the newest thing we've done. And it's, you know, like when we play those songs, there's a different feeling to them. It still feels like us, but maybe it's just because now having gone through all this stuff with these guys and written all this music with these guys and lived this life together to see like where we started to where we got to with that record. It makes me very happy to see what we've done. Um, And, you know, like, obviously that feeling is so tied to how that most recent album turned out and how fucking weird it could be for some people and how different it could be for some people. But for me and for the band, like we, we know that it was the record that, you know, we didn't realize we're making such a different kind of record until it was done (laughs) because it was just the record we felt like we had to make and that we just were honestly, it was just, it was just the one that we were making, you know? Um, But, you know, aside from, that like yeah i think nothing against the the other records we made it's just there's something about cavalcade that has this it just resonated with a lot of people and it was really as much as the great awake was the record that kind of kicked off our whole kind of touring existence and like took us around the world and and introduced us to a lot of people and allowed us to make a lot of lasting friendships Cavalcade was really the record that like solidified it. Um, 
and it wasn't like so much a door was being opened anymore as like we were like asked to kind of like have a seat at the table or something like that you know what i mean like it was like we were allowed to like stay for the party like the great we kind of felt like we were the kids going to like like walking into a party that like our older sibling was or like our parents were throwing and we we're like oh my god this is so exciting and then cavalcade was kind of the one where someone was like you guys should stay we're like all right cool <laughs> awesome well, man, I think that about covers everything I wanted to touch on, and I think that that went pretty in depth on it. Hell yeah, dude! I gotta tell you, I was thinking before we did this about a time where I was asked to do a track by track, um, like breakdown of this record of like what every song is about, and it was on that. I'm I'm remembering now that we're talking about it. It was on that tour we did together. Oh, where I was just like <laughs> not not having yeah, yeah. a blast and. Uh, Oh my god! Like doing that track by track, explaining to this friend of mine like what everything it was like an interview, and like it was like me explaining what each song's about. Oh god, it was so dark and painful, and it was brutal. You know what I mean? Like this was this was way more fun. I wanted to try and avoid <laughs> jumping into because I it like it really doesn't matter what you were thinking a lot of the time when it's written, right? Everyone's gonna read into it their own way. So I think like sometimes those song by song exact. Uh, you know, kind of explanations are, are a little bit whack, but I, I think kind of the what was happening around the record and, and you know, shit like Fat Mike telling basically telling you guys go back and keep working, you know, like those kind of stories that kind of shape the narrative that I think are interesting for people who, who wouldn't know that either don't know how recording and this kind of stuff comes around at all or knows a label would ever kind of have a say like that or, or just assumes the label's like, nope, you got to do this, this, this. Absolutely. And yeah, I want to be clear. I mean, just going back to the mic thing, like I, I feel like I should be clear to folks listening and whatever that I know that I and my friends and I, I should say no, that we're very lucky to have been able to have that experience with a guy like Fat Mike. Oh, hell yeah. I know that we're fortunate to have a guy like that say to us, I think you should go back. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a thing where we were like, you know, it that it kind of broke our whole world apart and all this stuff. Like it was tough news to hear, as I mentioned, but like, it was like, he cared that much to be like, I feel like we could do, you know what I mean? Like make this really fucking special. And like that, that like, especially now getting to look back at that 10 years later is it's, it speaks volumes about like how that guy and how everyone in fat, like really like cares about the music they're putting out. And about the people that are making that music, you know? You can hear records now where you're like, there was no one in the room who was going to stop that guy. <laughs> no one yeah, no one had the balls oh, yeah. to just kind of say, dude, don't do that. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I think that's, you know, with age especially, I think you get where, because, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, what the, f- why do all these bands have producers? This seems ridiculous. Yeah, and then you get older, you're like, oh my god, I wish I had this for every single record I ever did because I was too stupid yeah. to. I d- you just don't have the separation sometimes. No, exactly, and I think if if you're lucky playing music for even if it's just like a you know like a super passionate hobby or whatever, like, but especially if you're doing it like if it's your livelihood, like I think you're lucky to only get to the point where you feel like maybe you could do it on your own in time. You know, like it takes you a long time to finally get to that point where you're like, I got it. It's fine. You know what I, mean? it th- I think it's good to trust in people. And I think it's good to give people um, the benefit of the doubt 
when you're talking about music and kind of like not to be too broad but just kind of like art in general because it like you said just a second ago it's gonna mean something to someone else you know i i can write about fucking anything and i can put i can try to word it in a way where i can be completely literal about it or i can try to you know shroud it in mystery and like try to make people guess what it's about and you know it either way even if you're super literal about what your experience is with this feeling that's causing you to you know make it into a song someone else is not going to have that exact same outlook so it's 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 exciting it can be overwhelming when you're like in the middle of making a record sometimes having so many ideas flying around but it's really exciting like that's like the best part of writing music is like there's no wrong way to do it no it's just you know? your way yeah we did it our way, baby. And Fat Mike's way. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly his way, but... Uh, yeah, Fat Mike's way featuring the Flatliners way. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> nah. He actually played bass on... Nah. Oh, see, that is, a, that is a regret of ours, having not gone to the studio. That would have been really cool. What song is it? Is there not another singer on... Is it Shithawks on the second verse? Oh, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's Nuno from A Wilhelm Scream. Okay, okay. I was, I, that's Nuno. And then we got, um, shit, man, we got uh, so many people are on that record. Like Junior Battles yeah. sing gang vocals on Cavalcade. Awesome. Cancer Bats do. Yeah. Dillinger 4 is on there. Oh, really? Uh, they sing on Bleed. That's cool. Although they would lead you to believe they're not on it because they believe they got mixed out. I wasn't in the room. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't in the room when, we, when, when it was mixed. But uh, I, can still hear, I can still hear Patty, Billy, and Funk on there. Um, and I'm forgetting someone. Permanent Bastards. It's an old band uh, that yes, we were, they were buddies with yeah. back in the day. They're on there doing gang vocals. And yeah, man, it was a good crew. It was a really fun time to make music when we had a lot of friends involved. And I mean, it made sense because that record's about being away from your life, but with this other part of your life and the people in it, you know? So that was really like, you know, like the, the gang. The gang was there. Gang's was cool. all here. That's oh, right. Man. Congrats, uh, 10 years. It's pretty wild. Thanks, buddy. Hopefully, you know, you're able to do all these tours in the spring and, and summertime. And we'll see. Half the population really, isn't we're, we're gone. We're really we'll open, so. Yeah. Jesus. I, know. <laughs> I mean, it's a really bizarre time to just be alive in general. But, I mean, just those couple weeks of seeing every fucking tour get canceled left and right. Big bands, small there was bands. Like that week of like, everyone. oh, we'll just reschedule for April or May, and then it was like, ah, actually, nope. we're just yeah, yeah, exactly. The dominoes are just they keep falling. So we're really hoping we can get out there. We know that this record means a great deal to us. We understand that there's a lot of other people out there that feel the same way, which is so cool. And we really want to get out there and like celebrate a decade of it. Um, and it's we really, I will. We're gonna do all we can while it's you know when it's safe to do it and uh yeah hopefully we'll see people out there and we can you know try to make our way through this like what 45 minute punk record yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think it's i think it's right around 40 i don't think you break okay all right yeah that's good that's good good. (laughs) that's relief yeah anyways man well i hope i hope to see you soon in real life likewise my man stay safe yeah have a good night buddy bye you too 
And that's my conversation with Chris Cresswell of the Flatliners. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, it would mean a lot if you could rate or review it in the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that accepts a rate or review. It helps people find the show. Um, also, just share on social media. We got an Instagram, That One Record Podcast. Give it a follow there to stay up to date. Uh, on Twitter as well, if you have any questions, concerns, want to just talk shit to me, it's uh, That One Record Podcast at gmail.com. I've got some more of these episodes in the bank already. I've got uh, another one being filmed uh, this coming week. There's going to be more coming every two weeks, Monday mornings. Look for it there.